0: Welcome to InsureTech Insider, coming to you live from the 11FS office in WeWork London. In today's episode, we're going to be looking at incumbent insurers and startups in the industry and how they're forming effective partnerships and working together. To discuss this further, we're joined by some fantastic guests in the room today. We have Arslan Hanani making a repeat appearance. How are you today, Arslan?
1: I'm very well, thank you. Thank you for having me back.
0: Um, Arslan is the head of market management at Zurich. We're also joined by Tim Attia, who is making his uh, podcast debut with us, uh, who is the CEO and co-founder of Slice. How are you today, Tim?
2: Very well, thanks. Thanks for having me.
0: And I'm also joined by Nigel Walsh. How are you today, Nigel?
2: I'm
3: fantastic. You guys are very, very subdued and quiet, but I'm, <laughs> I'm excellent.
0: Um, I'm sure. I'm sure we'll we'll get the energy going. Um, so thank you all for joining us today. Uh, for our listeners, could you give us a quick summary about um, what each of you do? Um, Tim, if you could give us a quick overview of what Slice does, and then what you do there.
2: Sure. Slice is a fairly early stage startup. We're three years old. We're headquartered in New York City. We focus on on demand insurance. Focused on the new economy, on demand economy. Uh, we we do sell our own our own products in the U.S. We're going live in the U.K. on the 11th of December. Uh, but we also like license our platform, insurance cloud services, to insurers who want a digital on-demand experience.
0: Brilliant. And, also, and I think people know what Zurich does, but could you give us a quick overview of what your role is there?
1: Sure. So I head up market management, which uh, we look after our propositions, some of our new ventures, and some of the initiatives that we're working on, some of the long-term ones.
0: Brilliant. So it sounds like you're both highly qualified for this conversation.
1: We can almost have a debate, like a fight between you know, startup versus
3: incumbent here. <laughs> a pleasant fight, a nice fight.
0: No fights, Nigel. We don't do fights. <laughs> okay. I, I encourage I encourage debate and um, constructive criticism, but at fighting, we draw a line out. Um, so let's start off by talking about the sort of different types of partnership there are out there, because there are, there are millions of different ways that um, the incumbent players in the industry and startups can work together. But if you could just, if you could take it in turns to give us a quick overview of some of the most exciting ones you've seen, you know, Tim, I know that you work with a couple of incumbent insurers probably in different ways, so if you could give us an overview perhaps of how you work with insurers, and then ask them maybe how Zurich works with startups in the different ways it does that. Do you want to go first, Tim?
2: Sure, sure. Um, we, we went live two years ago with uh, Progressive in the U.S., and uh, that was our first, you know, experience uh, a Slice. Uh, working with carriers. Our hypothesis was that we could innovate, uh, because we were starting with a blank sheet of paper. We could change the game. We could have we, if we did, we didn't have a different business model and a different way of doing things, and our hypothesis was we had to leave everything behind. We couldn't reuse any existing system and process if we wanted to get there. But we're also fairly certain we can't scale. So in the first year, we make all kinds of crazy, we're a startup, so we make all kinds of crazy um, assertions that we're going to change the world and everything, and then it gets real. And uh, so initially, our, our partnership with Progressive was very important because it forced us to grow up quickly. We had to go live on Progressive.com. Com. We had to meet service levels. We had to roll out across states, and that was a different kind of relationship because it was primarily, I'll call it like um, a referral agreement, where we we're selling through the progressive brand. But it allowed us to scale. Um, uh, the The next type of the next type of thing that we look for incumbents uh, to do is um, is really again we think we can innovate but we're fairly certain we can't scale it's very hard to scale an insurance it would take 100 years and we we want to get everywhere in 18 months so we can't we can't go through the traditional approach
1: brilliant how about you aslan what's your view on this i think that's quite a tough question because there's so many i mean as as time goes on there's so many new models coming coming across the market as well. From an insurer's perspective, there's obviously capacity provision, which is probably the most common. We take stakes on in a lot of the insurer techs. There's uh, distribution partnerships and all sorts. But I think a lot of the partnerships that we have are also sort of, we're bound by the same kind of North Star. So we're trying to solve similar problems. So it's hard to define them. Oh, it's a capacity deal, or it's an investor sort of investee relationship. Some of them, I mean, some some of the startups here in London we debate with constantly, and we we're, we're helping them evolve. They help us evolve. Sometimes that turns into a more formal relationship. Sometimes it doesn't. But it's it's sort of no. There's no definitive buckets. I would say. Isn't it a bit of a feeding frenzy right now,
3: though? Because there's, what, three and a half thousand insure tech startups of sorts. There's a defined number of carriers that exist in the marketplace. Everyone goes for the big guys, the Zurichs of the world straight away, because you've got distribution, you've got the scale. And it's a really hard thing. I've sat on both sides of the fence. I've understood the perspective from an insurance organization that that's um often risk adverse and sits there and go actually we've got to protect our brand here and we got someone on the other side of the fence that can literally charge there's six people and a dog that want (laughs) to that want to run at speed and change the world and those two things aren't always aligned right and it's a really hard thing to work out do we just go and invest and say we'll hedge our bets or actually do we bring them in and be really really bold
1: no i i i think this is a really interesting point i know i know you and i have debated this before (laughs) but it's um i'd say I think it's critical to have the problem that you're solving be very, very clear about it. After that, it's up to... Every insurer is different in terms of what their risk appetite is and what kind of sort of... They have to act with responsibility, of course, when you have reached scale. So some problems you are trying to solve or you can solve, some you can't. I think the insurers, the incumbents are in quite a luxurious position today because there's a lot of people out there trying to solve some pretty tough issues. And we can sort of pick in a way you know so it's not to be not to sound too you know but it's um it's interesting because every single problem that we're trying to tackle, we have two or three different options now in the market who, of people who can help us. So it's actually quite a great place to be. It's today. funny.
3: I, I, was just, sorry, sorry, sorry. I was with a client yesterday, and we were writing on a board together. You know, They're trying to solve X, Y, Z. And for every problem they wrote down, I could name three startups that were solving that exact problem right away, and they'd not heard of a single one of them. So,
2: it's like, what? So I'll start the fight. <laughs> <laughs> um I think, I think we have to draw the line, um, and it depends what we're trying to do. If we're just trying to incrementally improve um, a large carrier or ver- versus we're completely trying to change the game, are we looking for 1% or a 1,000x improvement? If we're after 1,000x, I think there's not a lot of options. I think the incumbents have scale but can't innovate, and the, the startups have innovation but can't scale. And until we agree uh we will never get to a thousand X. So if I have uh can I can boil down your startups for you. If I have some technology that I'm gonna implement within a large incumbent, it's gonna go from it's gonna be a place where the value goes to die, right? Whatever value you thought you were gonna do, you'll bring it into the current organization and it'll it'll die. So if you're gonna create a brand new model, a brand new insurance model, then I think there has to be something new. And I, I looked at a biotech industry where 70% of the, 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 the new drugs are coming from startups. They've agreed from the beginning that they're going to partner with the incumbents for scale because it's regulatory, distribution's yeah. difficult, and I think that works. So I think that's my, my, you know, I think that's the challenge.
0: So what I was going to say was, I mean, I, I completely agree that there are a million different ways that you can choose to work together. But for me, what I see is that a lot of the, the fact that those processes aren't, Established, and the fact that um, you know endpoints are not agreed to start with means you get. And I've seen a lot of startups dragged through a very long process with an incumbent, and at the end of it, they're they, they're dead on their feet because they've been doing this for twelve months, and there isn't any actual um, you know slick way of doing it. So what I was going to say was, which fits into what Tim just suggested, how do we do that? So okay, what's missing? What have we not seen? So if we haven't seen you know this thousand X yet, what what does I mean, I'm sure, and you disagree. I think, you know, and that's fine. But what do we, if, if you wanted the incumbents of the world to do something specific, to help startups like you get to that 1,000x and have that kind of the reinvention of insurance at the end of it, what needs to change?
2: I, I think incumbents have to agree that they can't innovate. And startups have to agree that they can't scale. And I think then we can we can come to an an, an, an arrangement. Uh, we can come to an arrangement where uh, we're we're partners, equal partners at the table. So we're not being dragged through anything. And uh, we can we can and and, and you do that. You would innovate into gaps. There are so many gaps in the market. I can close my eyes and throw a dart, and there'll be a gap in coverage. Yeah. You know, uh, auto policies didn't assume, didn't envision cars driving themselves around, or homeowners didn't envision uh, houses being shared. These policies are. 100 years old and they, 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 there's so Models many gaps. Models have
3: evolved, right? Full stop. So business model, the way we consume things Completely. is all evolving. Completely. And our industry traditionally hasn't. We're getting there. I don't, I don't agree with you, though. I actually think the it's not about the uh, the thousand X sometimes. It's actually about defining the problem we're trying to solve. What, what? So gap, yes. But what gap are we trying to solve that we both go after together? Not, back to your point, if we're just going to do something, bid better or digitize something that exists today, that's kind of not necessarily, actually that is innovation, but it's not disruption, is it?
2: Well, I think it's mundane. The, uh, the, what we're after is removing cost. If I want to digitize a value chain of a distributor, an insurer, a reinsurer, and a regulator, I'm going to look up and down the value chain and I'll say for a digital product, and I'll define digital as you don't talk to anybody. No website driving everybody to a call center. You don't talk to anybody. Uh, for that value chain, if you look up and down, who's the biggest offender? Who's taking 30% of expense in that value chain? And you need to take them out. And uh, that needs to be removed, because otherwise somebody else will. But I'll, I'll agree, by the way, Nigel, that it is about the end game. Uh, you, 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 know, you, you talked about it already. You talked about, about the ecosystem. What, what are you trying to solve? Is insurance ever going to become a great experience i don't think that as much as we work on customer experience, it's ever going to be a good experience. However, buying a Tesla is a great experience, or going on a cruise is a great experience, or going to New Zealand and and taking a small plane and driving around is a great experience. But until insurance is signals and events based and can become a part of a moment and experience like that, we won't get there.
3: Although Arsene and I were on a debate recently (laughs) whether we were the only two in a room full of 100 plus people at the Instec event London where we fought for insurers have not let customers down Mm -hmm. although we do we do recognize we need to keep up with the times to make sure that we don't let them down in the future
0: but is that not because insurers don't understand what they're doing is letting people down so no no we're not (laughs) letting people down it's fine we're not letting people down actually over here i'm your customer yes yes you are letting me down over here jumping up and down with my arms in the air i mean i wonder if that's just to go back to the partnership point where startups can help insurers understand their market, not necessarily in terms of like, you know, all the personalization and personalized policies, but actually, what do people actually want?
1: Yeah. No, look, I, I mean, first of all, I don't think an incumbent's job is to help any kind of startup with their multiple of, of how fast they grow. I, th- I think the responsibility we have is to solve problems for our customers. Mm-hmm. And that's the angle we actually take. I mean, if, if, if some ideas are being worked on, I mean... I'm sure all of us around the table have worked on projects that haven't come off, and that happens. That is part of life, right? In terms of um, what formalities there are, I, I think actually we do a disservice if we try to put partnerships into different buckets that are already labeled and already sort of mandated that this is how it should go. I think it needs to be organic because the problems are evolving too. The other thing I'd say is that insurers can't innovate. I'd obviously disagree with that. <laughs> <laughs> That's
0: fine. As I said, healthy debate is totally
1: allowed. I think I think there are problems that insurers, I mean, it's a journey, guys, first of all, right? I think if you look at the large insurers today, a lot of them have very different strategies of how they're trying to innovate too. So let's take some time and, and let that process go out. I mean, it's, 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 it is a bit of a burning platform because our customers do demand more from us, but I think we will get there. In terms of where we innovate and how we innovate i still think that we innovate best when we are very very clear about the problem that we're trying to solve yeah. if that problem is 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 cost cutting which in some cases it may may very well be we will find the right solution for that if it's growth that works in a different way but i can't i I can't stress enough that one size does not fit all. You know?
0: so, so, so I I, com- I completely understand, and I I would probably agree with that as well. But can we get some sort of tang- some some tangible examples here of how you might some models that exist? So, um, we've mentioned equity. Um, I can give Tim, you one. Yeah.
2: So. So first of all, full disclosure, we have Munich Re as investors, AxXL as investors, Sampo as investors, Grupo Sura as investors, <laughs> cooperators in Canada. So a lot of, lot of yep. investors, uh, uh, insurers, investors. However, so let's pick, let's pick home share. Uh, we, when, we, when we decided two years ago we wanted to go after the home share market, we were early, as in slash there was nobody else going after it. And we decided to write um, an on-demand policy, so no application for insurance, uh, no questions, $2 liability, full replacement cost, primary. Um, There's not a lot of actuarial history. We're going to do this. We get rid of the annual policy. We'll build this fully digital. We're not going to talk to anybody, all of that nice stuff. Um, So we we, we launch it in the great state of Iowa. We slowly work our way around nine states, 10 states. We go live. You know, where are we going to go? So we, 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 we launch it onto the progressive brand, progressive home share by slice, and we now have distribution there. But Airbnb is in 190 countries. I mean, that's almost more countries than there are countries. But, uh, (laughs) um, and, uh, so let's say it was a great innovation. Let's say there's a gap in the market. The on demand gig worker is exposed, whether we, sorry, rideshare or home share. How, how are we gonna, how are you gonna fill that gap? And how are you gonna fill it in 18 months? Not 120 years to get to 68 countries, which would be the largest carrier. So, how do we f- So, we would need a different model. So, if, we, if it was true innovation, so we licensed it to cooperators in Canada. We're now in three states. We licensed it to legal in general in the UK. We, we're looking at Grupo Sura. You know, that's, that's a way that we can get an innovation out there that we couldn't get there on our own. But when we license it to them, they take it turnkey. They don't take it and say, oh, you have to use my claim system and my process, because then it would erase all the value.
0: So, so it goes out there under their brand.
2: Their brand.
0: powered by could Slicer. be
2: powered by or completely. In the case of cooperatives, they created a brand new digital insurer called Duo. Okay. Um, it's, it's, it's sort of completely up to them. So
0: in, in that relationship, you are sort of a technology supplier, actually.
2: No, we're actually collecting premium into our bank you, account okay, sometimes. So, sometimes we're okay. actually uh, taking the risk, not even though they're a primary. But we license it all to them. So it's their customers, it's their data. It's just faster if we give them a turnkey digital insurer that's a target architecture, and then we take them out of their world. We bring them into a hackathon uh, to launch a product because they know how to put out perfect products. Insurance companies put out perfect products. They don't put out minimum viable products.
3: But by by pure coincidence, I could, <laughs> and maybe Austin maybe sure. will agree with me or disagree with me yeah. here, I could think that actually Airbnb is provided insurance by... Zerk. There you go. Just by pure coincidence, so you then see how a large incumbent or traditional insurer has actually cornered or got hold of a market that's in 190 plus countries. Uh, that's well, not
0: that's not innovating insurance though. That's just uh, selling home that's insurance. Capacity,
2: that's capacity anybody. provision to well, a market. No, they're, that's still, they're writing just, they're not, writing a blanket policy to them. That's been. I mean, I don't know if you, you guys are right. I thought Apollo was whoever's writing it is writing a blanket policy to uh, Airbnb that's been around since the beginning of time. It's just because like, they need host
3: protection in the first place.
2: Well, the, sorry, you, you're, they're selling it to Airbnb, not to the host. It's not Who's the named insured on the policy? So there's
3: two. You, get, you can get insurance host protection for the people that are oh. actually renting their houses, and then the platform protection as well, which I think, as you mentioned, is the other, uh, the other carrier.
2: Okay, I didn't realize that there, there was another product yeah, that yeah. the host could buy.
1: But I, I, I'd just like yeah. to add, what's wrong with providing a blanket type of a cover? I mean, if it, if it solves the problem for a consumer, it gives them the right kind of cover, and it's adequate, and it, it it gives them the right level of protection. I, I have a big problem with it, but
2: uh, so I, I don't. I personally don't think I have insurance unless I'm named insured and an additional insured on a policy that's known by the regulator in the state or jurisdiction and is regulated. So um, you know, let's pick on uh, you know Uber. So if if Riser LLC, which is Uber, is the named insured. Um, the fact that the driver has coverage through that is not coverage in any jurisdiction in the world by any definition. If you get caught, you're in an accident and the police officer walks up and asks you for proof of coverage, you need to be on a piece of paper that you're either, uh, additional insured or named insured on, which it doesn't meet that standard. The other problem I have is it's a blanket coverage. Are you underwriting the risk? Are you looking at, you know, that's the, the other problem is the, is the industry learning. By the way, I have no problem with it because there was a gap in the market yeah. and Zurich filled the gap and the bill guys filled the gap with what was available on the table at the time. Well, the only options anyway. was an annual commercial coverage, which is too expensive or a blanket policy. Those were the options.
3: It's yeah. funny because I, I was with another client where we talked about the policy where you can turn stuff on, turn stuff off, a trove light type solution. Um, and often you think, actually, I'm going to ensure these items one by one, my camera, my laptop, mm. and you add it all up. And actually, I sat there and went, the cost of all those things individually, whilst I have the free ability to turn them on and turn them off, I could just buy a blanket cover. And you do the same in the UK with Home and Contents as an example. And you go, actually, here's all my items over £500 or £1,000, whatever else it is. Or you go to other sites and go, just give me a maximum of, Fifty, seventy, a hundred thousand pounds, whatever it might be.
0: I mean, let's put a pin, put a pin in the fact that that's not the market that they <laughs> yeah, are targeting. Yeah. It's not you, Nigel, with your seventy-five SLRs at home. Um, oh, yeah. Just to <laughs> just to bring the the point back to how people are yeah. working together. I I, I understand. Yeah. I do understand that there are different policies and i do understand that Zurich is innovating with airbnb there but i just like to sort of pull it back around to some models where maybe you're doing something slightly different with some startups so you you know are there any partnerships that you've brought to market like sort of similar ideas powered by or equity stakes taken in majority stakes anything like that
1: yeah absolutely i mean it's it's there's a lot of examples on with traditional models as well that aren't necessarily sure tech, and, and I'm I'm pretty sure they're all they've all been replicated. Mm-hmm. I think one interesting model that 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 we have uh, launched recently was the Zurich Innovation World Championships. So basically, we had a global, um, so we had five sort of categories, and we had a global competition for people to to submit it. We had, don't quote me on these numbers, but I think it was over 650 applicants.
0: We we do have an interview somewhere with Mark Budd who told us the details on that, so I will exactly.
1: dig that out. <laughs> but um. And interestingly, of those, I was just telling the guys before, before we started recording, I think 60 odd were just from London. So it was fascinating to see how many of the local guys sort of, sort of got involved. But I think that's a really interesting model because then we could take those five categories, find the winners from across the globe that can really help solve us a problem that we've already identified and we're looking to solve. And now we can work with them in a whole host of ways. It doesn't need to be a capacity provision. It could be consultation. It could be, co-marketing together. It could be co-branding together. I mean, again, we, we haven't put any rules around how we work with them.
3: It's almost Kaggle in that way. That you say, here's our problems that exist inside our business. Open them up to the startups that say, we've got capabilities to solve these things and these five themes, and you go after the ones that that best fit you. Yeah.
1: I mean, I, I think all insurers do that. I mean, I, I feel like everywhere I go, people always point out the big problems that big insurers have, which is a real luxury because you know people outside the company are helping us identify them and showing us ways to solve them so it's it's a fascinating time so to so be far
3: we've heard you invest in them you provide the problems that they can help you go solve you partner with startups you are also working with lacquer for example like friend's
1: dystopian team
0: you're never gonna let like, get through an episode without mentioning LACA, <laughs> uh, are you nigel no. i know we no, like they are favorites
1: <laughs> let's be honest
3: th- th- we th- don't
0: have favorites on this show <laughs> <laughs> um to to the other thing that's interesting to me because um you mentioned it earlier as well is that how hard is it from a regulatory perspective? So from from a fintech, well, with fintechs and particularly with challenger banks, we've seen quite a, a struggle for for some of the banks to get started. They've ended up having to, so in the UK, we're, we're very lucky. We have a very understanding regulator who makes it easy for banks to, to get started from the ground up in a lot of other places in the US. Particularly, that's not the case. Um, and so partnerships, that, that's shaped partnerships, if you like. So a lot of the, the neobanks in the US have to have a, a banking partner to get a license, a provision. So I wonder if there's something that we've seen... In the insurance industry or maybe we haven't seen yet and you'd like to see where there's some innovation that makes it either easier for you guys to work together or that makes it easy for you to do what others was suggesting and have different sort of models of partnerships I mean you must be you can't be any less regulated than banks so um, you, you know what you can do is presumably hamstrung by what regulation is out there so I don't know if you have if there's any sort of initiatives you know of or any you know ideas or suggestions that you'd like the regulators to take on board
1: yeah no i mean i'm I'm not as uh, as well read up on the North American market. But here in the UK, we've got a fantastic situation, right? So going back to LACA, who aren't our favorites or are our favorites, but uh, with them, we actually went and saw the Sandbox team together. And we sort of debated different models together and we debated different ways of us working together. And, and we sort of co-created a solution for all of us. And I think that's something that we've repeated many times. I think um, in terms of what would fit in the north american market i don't know but here i think it would be a bit easier for for some startups to to not necessarily have that incumbent relationship already sort of done before they approach the sandbox.
0: So so, you, so, LACA had to find an incumbent partner before they could approach I, the FCA? Uh, Is I, mean, that what you're, I, I don't know. Is that the, I don't know
1: the exact, I mean, I, I, I shouldn't talk about the exact situation, but it was a bit of a chicken and egg.
0: Okay, yeah. so, so it, you're suggesting it might be easier if you went as a startup to the FCA and said, we've got this idea for insurance. Can you help us understand how we can get the correct licenses or which licenses we need to apply for? Or help
1: us find an insurer, help us find capacity. That's that's a role I think the regulator could very easily play because they have oversight of everything, right? So.
0: Yeah. Yeah, no, no, they absolutely do. And don't get me wrong, I love the FCA and the PRA. Like, yeah.
1: uh, and the regulators. sandbox
3: and what they're doing right now in the UK is, I think is, is industry-leading, right, worldwide. I think it's fantastic. Uh,
2: and regulators are key. I mean, without regulators, I think startups could behave badly and uh, it's financial services.
3: Um, but look at the US market, right, where you've got 50 states, it's much harder where you've got admitted versus non-admitted. It makes life much more difficult, I think, for startups to to engage. You look at the, the folks from Trove and they'll turn around to you and say, we launched in the UK first and foremost because regulation was actually easier and more straightforward to get through and then go back to the States and work through those guys.
2: Well, we started in the States. We started in the great state of Iowa. Nick was the commissioner. He was a young guy. He's no yeah. longer the commissioner. He liked us. We liked him. He had a few other friends in other states who were commissioners. And so we slowly worked our way state by state. When we went into California, we got a press release from the commissioner saying, welcome to the state, because they also...
0: That's amazing. I
2: mean, they have a mandate to take care of people and make sure people are protected. So if you're going after a gap in the market, it's an important thing. It is difficult. It's um, It's necessary. We grabbed the bulls by the horn. So we, at the beginning, decided we wouldn't go into any sandboxes or any... Because we didn't want to be limited by... We actually don't like the term sandbox either. I think there's a lot of kids playing sandboxes. <laughs>
1: oh, now, now you sound like Maria <laughs> Villa for NYC. Um, but but yeah, so that's, that's
0: an interesting yeah. point. I'll let you finish your point uh, and then come back
2: No, to that. no, no. But that's... The, I think we, we, we realized... But it's also a barrier. So uh, if we want to go to... Um, Southeast Asia. So we're doing a hackathon in Southeast Asia. It would be very difficult for us. Malaysia, you know, how does it work with um, AWS yep. uh, in these regions? Uh, so, you know, we have a partner with Sampo who understands the regulatory because uh, otherwise it would take us too long. And that's where we need the relationship with the incumbents because yeah. Yeah. Um, they know the markets.
0: So just on the sandbox point, um, we, we sort of uh, um, haven't really talked so much about the idea of a partnership whereby uh, an, uh, an incumbent is taking equity, I suppose, in a company. And just made me think of that with me saying sandboxes, but there's restrictions there. Um, you know, I, I, I don't know. You have equity taken in in sliced by numerous people. Yeah. <laughs> you listed them earlier. Yeah. You know, what are the benefits? And you can both talk to this. What are the benefits of that? And maybe what what would potentially be the disadvantages? Because before you take that money, you weigh up, like, is this a good thing or a bad thing? presumably, unless you just go, no, we'll just take the money, um, which is what I had later in a podcast last week. She one. was like, no, you just take the money. And I was like, okay, fine, just take the money. I mean, what do I know? No. Um, but just as an interesting one as well, like as a former partnership, we've had debate about this before, and i just like to revisit it with some, with some fresh voices. Like, you know, there are good points, and presumably there are bad points
1: as well. I think it depends on where each of the companies are in their journey. Right, they they could be very early, and and taking money or not taking money or investment could be different for them. To, you know, it's 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 different for any startup or any incumbent. I mean, for us, we, and and again, not to, I'm, I'm not the authority for, for for Zurich to speak about sort of investments here, but it's. Um, there are relationships where we've just taken a sort of a stake and it's kept away from the mothership. It's run under its own brand. It's run, I mean, Covermore is a fantastic example of this. It's a travel service provider that, 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 that we purchased. Um, in other parts or in, in other ventures, it's, we take an equity stake and we really integrate them into the Zurich sort of system. Right? So it's it's completely white-labeled. But I think it's really, it depends on where you are as a company and where you are as an insurer. And I, I, again, I come back to the one size doesn't fit all in, in this kind of situation. It's really interesting.
3: If you remember one of the shows we did previously with uh, the Aviva guys, they talked about uh, they invested in Cocoon, but they didn't actually use the Cocoon product at all inside the actual Aviva stable at the moment. They, they plan to at some point, but there's no interaction there at all. And then James York from Warren Peace has also been on the show uh, enabled a number of startups, you know, with Jack, Hakodo, Flock to use his capability. And I think actually just last week um, with Jack just came out and got FCA authorized as well. So there's lots of ways to leverage people that have got that capability, whether it's regulatory or otherwise, um, in the first instance, to help them get on their journey.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think I think the point that I wanted to, to bring out, which I mean, aside from just take the money, is is that whatever, <laughs> whenever we're talking about partnerships and whenever we're talking about working relationships, and as you said earlier, n- you know, there is no one size fits all. But uh, at, for a startup, you do have to carefully consider how you're going to do this because you could be squashed.
2: It's, it's, indi- it's individual. Um, we, our first investor was Horizons Ventures, Venture, Mr. Lee ka out of Hong Kong. So they're, they've invested in other startups, but insurance, but they're not insurance. Uh, but early on, we got, um, uh, at the time, Excel Innovate. This is prior to Axe, of course, and, and Tom Hutton. Um, getting him and getting them early is validation. Right, so if you're going to go through the regulatory hurdles and you're going to go to the market and be serious, you want serious people at the table, and so that that was very important to us. Um, if you and, and if you go down from there to, well, Munich Re, I mean, Munich Re decided to back us and provide us capacity. So everyone has a different reason. You know, we wanted to get into Southeast Asia. We felt we thought that these products would be useful there. So I think each one has to be looked at individually. How and, and it's not a, not about working with them. I yeah, think it's yeah. a different decision of you're yeah. going to necessarily work with them or not work with them when we when we did when we worked with took investment for Ax it was a two and a half years later before we launched a cyber product with them and they were they were independent
0: yeah and I yeah. think that i mean, that's another key point right you can you can have you know powered by working with Zurich you can have underwritten by Zurich you can have investment you know and that's just a, a source of money and they've got to invest exactly. somewhere so why Absolutely. not
3: How much of that do you believe is insurers hedging their bets? I guess, question to both of you, because that's quite an interesting one, because obviously insurers have got a hell of a lot of capital to go and deploy in different places. Uh, Do the reinsurers do it differently to the primary carriers? What's been your experience so far? Uh,
2: You know, a lot of it's personal, right? So, you know, either Tom at AxeXL or Jacqueline at Munich Re. I've known Jacqueline for 13 years sometimes it's a bit of a right per, it becomes it's not a company company it becomes a personal type of thing so I, I And mean, I don't know what their motivations are I mean I don't always know what they are I think from our perspective it's nice to have a lot of incumbents at the table
0: yeah then then you're yeah. not then you're not dominated by one that's, investor that's yeah. right
2: yeah
1: I completely agree with that I mean it comes down to person to person. Yeah, yeah. I think that's that's the single biggest factor because at the end of the day, I mean, people who work for incumbents, we know what the problems are. we we know we we can identify good ideas and and it's the people that are passionate and are trying to change things that are that are successfully driving these relationships too
0: so just so we're coming coming to the end of the round table but i'm going to ask you the question i always ask everybody which is what's next so it can i do what's next for you guys like if you've got anything exciting you want to tell us about or it can be you know we, we've talked um, a little bit about how there are so many different options out there would you think do you think we're going to see more of what you suggested there tim that there's more of this kind of okay we get where we are we get we can't do this we get we can't do this and then powering ahead or do you think we're, we're not there yet and i wasn't like, you know what about for you guys you've You've just done. I have to point out when we, I, um, your competition was explained to me by your colleague. He said it's like the World Cup, but I was like, I don't understand how the World Cup works. <laughs> I understand football, but the World Cup bit is completely bonkers. And whoever came up with it was off their face. Um, but you know, maybe, maybe what's next? Um, for, you know, with those companies for you or, or something else on the horizon.
1: So, yeah, no. So for the championship, I think I, th- I think there's a couple of meetings happening today as we speak. Um, but in, I think it's February where the where the global finals will be. But I think generally for sort of insured techs and insurers, like I just, I'm so optimistic about the future because I think there are so many people trying to do so many interesting things. And I think if, if, if we find the right areas to collaborate on, there can only be the consumer that wins, right? So I think as, as, as long as we have that focus, I'm quite excited. I'm quite excited for the future. Cool. Tim?
2: Well, for us, it's more about urgency and speed. Um, uh, you know, the startups are always a year from being out of business. None of the big guys are a year from being out of business. Um, so I, you know, our first year we put out a minimum viable product. Uh, we spent a year on product market fit and then we, we put out insurance cloud services and we thought we might do three deals this year and we read it. We, and and we found that we, we hit product market fit. We put out a, something that people are looking for. So we've, you know, now we're, we're toying with, you know, how do we scale faster and how do we hyperscale? So the question becomes, you know, how can you get everywhere in sort of 18 months because we think the clock is ticking. Um, By the way, it takes a long time. It's going to take 20 years before the effect is seen. Um, the a lot of people ask about disruption. They haven't seen any disruption. That's because you only see it in hindsight, twenty years yeah. after. Uh, when uh, when uh, twenty years ago, when you know in the U.S., Allstate was number two in auto. They didn't see twenty years ago that when somebody sold the first policy online, that twenty years later they were going to be number four. And um, so it could have happened mm-hmm. already. Um, so for us, I think it's more about how do we how do we accelerate and how do we how do we go quicker. Uh, we are. We Is that a dig at the incumbents that
3: are typically named or labelled as being slow to move or slow to react?
2: Absolutely. We can't. We can't. We can't go through RFP processes and things like that. We because in that period of time. Uh, you gone you, bust you, 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 you're done you're that's done. what I mean yeah, about being dragged yeah. through a process yeah, but yeah, you, you have, have got to, 12 months. You have to we have to implement now we have 18 months we have 18 months one of my favourite quotes
3: from a friend who runs a startup was Nigel we're six months into a four week pilot <laughs> and I always remember it because he was stuck yeah. in legal
2: right yeah no we can't we can't go through through those things but, but I think you know what we, we're launching our first hackathon centre and so we have a lot of carriers we have to bring them out of their current world because they can't go through building products the way they build Products today, yeah, yeah. and uh, you know, of course, we all know that, uh, that data is important. So, uh, 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 one last
3: question: we sure, sure yeah, seriously, yeah. kill me in a second. But who, yeah. who's best to own this inside the incumbent? So, a question, I guess, for you, Arson: Is it the IT guys that say we've got technology covered and we'll look after the cyber risk and all those things that go with it for our protection of our client ultimately, or is it the business, or is it a combination? What's what's been your view of what works best?
1: That's a tricky question. Um, I think you wish I
0: hadn't let him ask. It though, yeah, you? <laughs>
1: exactly. I'd have to come back and say I don't really care within the company. I mean, it's all Zurich to our consumers. I think I think it's the people who have the energy and the passion to try to you know do something that's a little bit more unusual and and they may be in IT they may be in ops they may be in legal whatever motivated no, problem solvers absolutely I, well, I
0: actually agree that I think because we've talked about this before um, I was talking I did a reg tech uh, panel recently and it's the same thing it's, they have the same problem as insurtech it's finding the right stakeholder but actually it doesn't matter where that stakeholder is if they have power so if they have the pa- they have to have two things they have to have the vision to see you and then they do have to have the power to drive that through and if that power is to pass it to their colleague who has you know the money then that's still so, so,
2: so the incumbents have it. Why I say they can't innovate is because they can't do it. It's not possible within the current organization. They really have to create a completely separate digital organization that leaves the past behind. No commercial, personal towers, no line of business towers, no layered and siloed architectures. They need to create the online Netflix. Get stuff done Netflix. Quickly They still tower. have the storefront. And I think the question it's not like they're going to move their auto books. That's not what, it's just the new things and the new requirements happen over here. And one day the CEO is going to have to decide, do I pick up the phone from the brick and mortar company or from the digital company? But that's 20 years from now. But my view is they have the right people. They have the capability. They have to create a completely separate digital organization that has no ties at all back to the current organization and then just leave it. It's going to take 20 years. Carriers have tried it, but, they, they're looking at their quarterly numbers and they get tired after two quarters. Uh, but but I, I think one day that, that organization might be bigger. It's not about moving things
1: over. That's our view anyway. I think we need another podcast. I think <laughs> we do as well because I was just, I was
0: just about to say that that yeah. debate is one that has been raging within banks for years. So I'm going to leave that as as Tim's challenge and Tim's mic drop if you like. Um, that wraps up our roundtable. Thank you so much to everyone for joining me. Uh, where can listeners find out more about you? Do you want to give us a website, a Twitter handle, or LinkedIn? Arslan?
1: Yeah, I'm on Arslan underscore Hanani. Uh, That's on Twitter, LinkedIn, and Zurich.co.uk.
0: Perfect. Tim? Uh,
2: Slice.is, www.slice.is, and uh, Slice Labs.
0: Perfect. And Nigel, uh, do you want a Twitter handle, or are you going to give me something weird this week? I've
3: got nothing weird. I mean, yeah, uh, Twitter's my public one. So let's go with that, Nigel Walsh at Twitter.
0: Or at Nigel Walsh on Twitter. That's what I meant. (laughs) (laughs) And you can find me on Twitter as well, at Sarah Koshansky. So next up, we're going to bring you a fantastic interview with Andy Rear, who is the Chief Executive of Munich Re's Digital Partners, and he also heads up their venture fund. So let's hear from him now.
4: I'm the Chief Executive of Digital Partners at Munich Re. We are a wholesale insurer, which aims to be the best insurance partner for digital disruptors, both in Insurtex and also other digital verticals we set ourselves up because insurtech looked to us like an industry which was going to be much better partnered with the insurance industry than directly competing against it and that makes it different to fintech you know if you're a fintech what you do is you pick a corner of the uh, of the banking landscape and you attack that so you do you do payments you do foreign exchange you do small business lending and you do that without having to build a banking infrastructure. Uh, if you imagine trying to do the same with insurance, that's actually very difficult. You know, If I want to just do home insurance in the UK and I think about all the things I need to put together, including not just the technology but also the balance sheet and the, uh, the capital and the reinsurance arrangements, um, I, I've had to do a lot of work and I've uh, spent a lot of money and very little of that work and effort has gone into... Uh, my customer experience, which eventually is the most important thing. So it seemed to us natural that insurtechs trying to build their own products and change the way customers see insurance would come, uh, would be better off using a balance sheet and, uh, and a set of insurance capabilities rather than building them themselves. Um, and then the second realization was that this kind of business model was ideal for, for a reinsurer because as a reinsurer we're really good at, at insurance, we're really good at product. What we're not really good at is distribution and brand. So if we work with insurtechs who are trying to build a brand and who are really good at distribution, then you know we have a marriage made in heaven.
0: I mean, that's that's the plan, surely. Um, what what sort of startups do you work with? You mentioned sort of a couple there, but can you give me sort of um, a bit of insight into to what sort of company is you're, you're looking for when you go out looking for partners?
4: Um, fundamentally, we want partners who can distribute insurance. So we don't want partners who are only tech or who are focused on optimizing an existing insurance business, Um, so claims technology, for example. Um, So our partners are people like Bought By Many and Trove and Insure, uh, who are all uh, trying to uh, sell to customers, whether direct customers or, or, or B2B2C, but uh, but change the way uh, customers experience insurance.
0: That's interesting because that's actually um, quite different to some of the other the other companies I spoke incumbents, if you like, who are within the, the the older insurance industry. I've spoken to who are looking for a broader spectrum. What what made you decide that you were going to keep it to that? Um, it's not particularly narrow, but that that definition, if you like.
4: Uh, yeah, our ambition was to build a a new kind of business for Munich Re. So we're not about transforming our legacy. We're not about changing the way Munich Re does things uh, corporately. We're really about building an entirely new business. And if you build an entirely new business, the most important thing you need to figure out is distribution. And so our partnerships are all about helping us figure out distribution.
0: And so, um, with that in mind, do you work with different partners in different ways? Uh, so, I, I do. I know that you you do directly invest in some, but there are other things you do as well, right? You don't. You have a, a spectrum of ways in which you interact with your with your partners.
4: Um, yeah, we do. We we have sort of four parts to our offering uh, in total. So, we have insurance capacity, multiple countries around the world. We have a product underwriting, data analytics capabilities to actually build products. We have some technology to connect uh, our partners to uh, to our carriers and to manage data and manage compliance around that. And then we have then we have venture capital. We are partnership first, so we're interested in building long term partnerships. Sometimes we support those partnerships with capital when it makes sense for. Uh, for us and for our partners, uh, but we don't have to. So th- the biggest differences between our partners one to another is, is really where they come from. So some of our partners really come from tech, and they bring great technology, and they say, we'd like to apply this technology to insurance. We've got a fantastic way to find customers. Now, can you help us build products? And we do all the heavy lifting around around building the product. Others of our customers... Come with uh, with a lot of insurance experience and an understanding of of the kind of products that customers want to buy and what's wrong with the products that in those markets today. And they say to us, "We we want to try and get this product on the street. Can you help us?" And there, uh, we focus on on our technology expertise. We tend not to build much of the policy admin technology, but we know who is good at, at what and we run regular vendor selections so with those guys you know we take their product ideas and we uh, and we help them bring them to market with technology
0: so can you give me um a couple of uh, examples or, or, or i suppose case studies is too too broad a term for this but sort of where, where uh, are there any that you you're free to tell me about where you are out there in the public you know how you've worked in different ways with different companies just sort of make it quite tan- more, a tangible
4: sure. um, we have about 20 partners live, mostly in the UK and the US, a couple in some other countries. So, you know, one of our first partners in the UK was Bought by Many, who are building pet insurance. Bought by Many have a a fantastic model. They use social media to understand what customers really need and to interact with their customers. So they came to us saying, uh, this is what our customers have said they need that they can't get from the current market. Can you help us build a product which delivers that? So we built the technical side of the product. They built the customer side of the product. So uh, we've done a pet with them in the UK. We're now moving to a couple of other markets and a couple of other products as well. We've got a travel product with Portway Menu as well. Uh, another example is insure. Um, so we met insure. They were in the they were in the US. they in New York and they came out of a New York broker, which had quite a large taxi book, and and the broker was trying to make their product work for Rideshare, and, and it just didn't work. The product or the experience was very manual, very slow, very cumbersome. And they came to us and said, can we build a, a product for, for Rideshare drivers, which will allow them to buy their insurance entirely online through their mobile phone so they can so they can do it and start working straight away so we've been live with them in the US for uh, I guess six or eight months now and we were live uh, last week in the UK Um, it's still on soft launch but it'll go live fully sometime during December Uh, and you know ride shares a ride shares a good a a good market for us because the drivers of ride share are real digital natives and yet they're the products that they get from taxi insurers are, are really not digital. So,
0: it's it's an excellent market for some innovation.
4: <laughs> yeah, it is indeed. Yeah, um, uh, and maybe one f- further example. In the US, we work with uh, with Next Insurance, which is SME insurance. Next are one of those people that came with with no understanding of insurance altogether, but they knew how to how to bring customers in. They knew how to sell direct to customers. Um, their background was, uh, was mobile payments. They'd had a successful exit in a mobile payments company. And they said, they looked at insurance and thought, well, that's the next vertical to tackle. And they came to us and said, we can build technology and we can gather customers, but we don't know what type of customers, we don't know what to sell them. And we don't know what kind of technology you need. So can you tell us all those things and we will go and do it? And what we now do for them is we build a whole range of small business insurance products increasingly using new sources of data they have fantastic people able to find new data and they bring they come to us and they say could we use this data source we've seen some correlation between this and our claims can we use this does it work how can we build it into the product so we have a sort of continuous iteration where we're continually the guys who provide insurance expertise and they bring technology data customers
0: so those, I mean, those three sound um, like, you know, great successes. Um, presumably you've been, the, the unit's been going for, is it, is it two years now? You've been uh, Two and a half in, years, yeah. Yeah. So what have you learned along the way? Because presumably you didn't, it, not everything has been a success from day one. In which case, if you have worked out how to do that, can you bottle it and sell it for millions? Um, but just kind of um, talking about the ways in which you would engage with startups and, you know, the evolution of, of, of that industry, if you like. What, what's changed over that two and a half year period?
4: Uh, yeah, I mean we've we've learned every lesson in the book. I think uh, it's, so. A few things I think that uh, that are important. One is the team. Uh, you know, of course, every venture capitalist will tell you that the team is important. But we've uh, we've sort of understood how to dig down in that a bit more. So, firstly, you have to have a team which understands how to build a business. They don't have to understand how to build an insurance business, but they need to understand or accept that insurance is difficult and complicated we've had some partners or, or, or want to partners who start with the premise that insurance is a terrible industry and all insurers are stupid and so uh, surely we can do better the reality is actually insurance is not a terrible industry and most insurers are very intelligent it's just very very difficult so we like partners either who have really good insurance expertise but also technology skills and business building skills or who have technology and business building skills and an appreciation that uh, that insurance is actually quite complicated and quite difficult you, you know you have to get it right um, one of the things that uh, that we learned very early on was how to partner uh, firstly you have to be willing to say to say no and say no quickly. So, if we see a startup and it doesn't fit us or doesn't meet our criteria, then then we say no straight away. We have one point of entry into uh, into our business, so we have a small team of partner engagement managers, and every startup who comes, no matter how, no matter how they find us, they go through that gateway and that and the partner engagement managers spend most of their time saying no to potential partners. <laughs> If they get through that gate, then we have a second gate, which is commercials. One thing we find is that some of our partners don't really understand the realities of insurance commercials. Insurtech is not a, uh, a business in which you can make a fast buck. And uh, we have to have partners who uh, you know, who are with us for the long term. So and it, only if we can get through that sort of initial commercial discussion do we then think about delivery, because that means that once we come to delivery day one of the project we can we can map out how long it's going to take what it's going to look like what they uh, what all of the work streams are and so on
0: so with that you know in mind all those lessons learned and the two and a half years of experience you've got behind you what's what's next for you guys is it you know is it more of the same Have you got new verticals you're looking at in particular um what's you know on your on your horizon
4: so a lot of it's more of the same. what we're now seeing is that some of our existing partners are coming to scale. so we have a bunch of partners who will be writing you know next year in the, somewhere in the you know 50 to 100 million dollar range. so then we have to start understanding how to monitor that book, how we manage the data that we get from it and so on. And the second area of focus for us is some larger partnerships. So with, with risk now we're the insurer behind BMW's new cars, In the UK, um, that's a bigger and more challenging partnership. We're the insurer behind uh, Google's Waymo autonomous vehicle taxi business, which, again, is when it goes live the beginning of next year, is going to grow very, very quickly. Um, And we have so we have a couple of other scale partnerships like that, which is a sort of new avenue for us. Um, and then thirdly, we are looking at our next few countries. We, we initially set ourselves up with the idea of being a global business, and we're now figuring out what that really means for us in practice. So um, uh, we are going to go live in Australia in a couple of months' time, and we have plans for, uh, for a business in Singapore and a business in India uh, over the next few months.
0: Huge, huge insurance markets, both in um, India and uh, India in particular, actually. Absolutely.
4: India is a super, super exciting market. Um, Brilliant.
0: Well, we look forward to seeing what you get up to. Do let us know when those things go live because we'd we'd love to chat to you again. Um, But thank you so much for giving us your time. Thank you. So that wraps up another InsureTech Insider. Thank you to all our guests, to Ars and to Tim and to Nigel for joining me. Um, as always, you can find the show on Twitter at InsureTechInsiders. Insiders. And if you like what you've heard this week, do not forget to subscribe to our podcast. And please, please leave us a review on iTunes. If you have any suggestions or feedback, please reach out on Twitter or email podcasts at 11fs.com. Thank you so much for listening. Goodbye.